0: but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Let's open in prayer. Lord God, we come today to your word that you might instruct our hearts, God. Lord, we are often confused by what is true because we are plunged within a world that has a variety of ideas, a variety of thoughts of what is true and what is good and what is right and what makes us happy, Lord. And so, God, may we come to your word knowing that it is authoritative, that it is true and that it is good for our souls. And may we receive it with humility knowing that it comes from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name amen. I want to start today with a brief survey. Uh, I want you to raise your hand or honk your horn if you want to be happy. Anyone? Okay, so like half of you want to be happy, all right? I'm not sure what's going on with the other half of you, but half of you want to be happy. I was expecting the statistic to be a little bit higher. I hope it doesn't ruin the sermon, but um, raise your hand, second question, if you think God wants you to be happy. Raise your hand. Okay. don't raise your hand for this, but uh, I'm curious, would you consider yourself a happy person? Maybe even a better question, would those closest to you who know you best consider you a happy person? Uh, This past uh, week, I asked my youngest son, uh, do you think I'm a happy person? And he said, sometimes, but sometimes you get angry, which is true. I asked him about his mom. He said the same thing. I asked him about himself. He said the same thing. He said, sometimes I'm happy, but sometimes I get angry as well. Final question for you just to think about. This is a little deeper question, but I'm curious if you could think back over the past week or over the summer. How have you pursued happiness in your life? How have you pursued happiness? From the foundation of our country, happiness has been one of our top values. In the Declaration of Independence, which many of you are probably familiar with, it says, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, it's so interesting that it doesn't say life, liberty, and happiness, but life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and i think by the addition of this word pursuit our forefathers are recognizing something about happiness that that happiness is something that takes effort to achieve that we have to pursue it but also secondly they are recognizing that happiness is elusive we have to pursue it how can we grow in happiness How can we be happier people tomorrow than we are today? This is not only a question that we ask ourselves a hundred times a day, but it is the question that is being answered here in Psalm 1. And so if you would please open up to Psalm 1. If you are in the Red Bible, it is page 474. Again, if you don't have a Bible, there are some at the Welcome Center. Feel free to grab one there. As you will notice uh, in Psalm 1, it starts with the word blessed. And blessed means to be supremely happy or fulfilled. To be supremely happy or fulfilled. Now this is not a surface level momentary happiness when your team scores a touchdown or when you get a good grade or when or when the sun is shining, that happiness is good as well. But that is not the happiness that blessed is talking about. Blessedness is talking about a deep down in your soul happiness that persists even when the sun isn't shining. And so here in Psalm 1, the Lord tells us how to grow in happiness, how to be happy people. Psalm 1 verse 1 through 6. Blessed or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. During uh, this COVID time, there is something called the COVID Response Tracking Study. And it reports that American adults who said they were very happy back in 2018 was about 31%. But during COVID, the same adults that would consider themselves very happy dropped down to 14%. Now I know our reflex reaction might be to blame uh, the disease of COVID. It might be to blame politicians and their policies over COVID. But if the Bible is true, if Psalm 1 is true, the happiness that God wants for us is not contingent on our health and it is not contingent on politicians. Praise God. Rather, our happiness is based, again, on a million decisions that we make every single day. Would you believe me if I told you that God is more interested in your happiness than you are? Again, not a surface-level, momentary, situationally dependent happiness, which those are also a gift from God, but a deep-down, long-standing, rooted happiness that can take us through the trial's of life, And so if you want to be happy, which I believe you do, God wants us to be happy, here is the way to happiness listed out here in Psalm chapter 1, which not only tells us how to pursue happiness, but why the true happiness God has for us is greater than any other happiness we might be tempted to pursue. So first... We have here the pursuit of happiness. We're going to spend some time, uh, quite a bit of time here in verse 1 through 2, because verse 1 through 2 is not only the introduction to Psalm 1, it's actually the introduction to the whole book of Psalms. And so what's being said here is very important to us. And so look with me at verse 1 and thinking about the pursuit of happiness. He says, Blessed or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You know, this psalm starts by describing a happy man, a blessed man in a very shocking way. It starts by telling us of a man, not by the happiness that he pursues, but by the desires that he denies. This is shocking for us because we have been taught that happiness is is pursuing whatever you want, whenever you want it. But here it tells us that, that part of the pursuit of happiness includes denying yourself certain desires that you have. The psalmist uses the, the words in these verses of walk, stand, and sit to describe the holisticness of this denial that needs to happen in our, in our life in order to pursue happiness. Look with me. Verse, first, he talks about walking. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked now this is important to see he does not say blessed is the man who does not walk amongst the wicked because we all walk amongst the wicked but he's saying walks not in the counsel of the wicked that is the advice of the wicked the plans of the wicked the purpose of the wicked or the quote wisdom of the wicked he goes on and says nor stands in the way of sinners standing is a more fixed position someone who has rooted themselves in the path of wickedness he is saying here that we should not capitulate to the world and the ways of the world. We are to be a peculiar people who live not according to the ways that are promoted throughout the world, but through the ways of God. And he goes on, he says, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. A scoffer is someone who mocks something or scorns something. In this context, the psalmist is warning against mocking the word of God, the ways of God, and God is himself now you might be here saying hey i'm a christian i don't walk uh, in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the way of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers but let me ask you does your life look different than your neighbors around you does the way that you spend your money look different the bible says a lot about how we are called to steward our money in this world And so does the way that you use your money and steward your money for the proclamation of the kingdom of God, does that look different than your neighbor next to you? What about your Sunday mornings? The Bible says a lot about the Lord's Day and the Sabbath day and the priority of it. Has has the Lord's Day become optional to you? When you you have other things you want to do, whether it be sleep in or or be at the lake house every weekend or, or, or use sports or whatever it might be, that is the way of the world. What about the way you pursue happiness when no one else is watching? What about how you choose a spouse, pursue purity, talk about politics and politicians, the language you use, the shows you watch, the forgiveness you give or don't give? How similar is that to the ways of the world and how peculiar is it compared to the world? Proverbs 14 says, There is a way. That seems right to a man. Seems right to a man. Seems like the right thing to a man. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is a way to death. Listen, the more your ways are like the ways of men and less like the ways of God, you will not be happier. You will be sadder. Your life and your family life will be filled with more frustration, more anger, more anxiety, and less peace and intimacy with God. And so one way that we pursue happiness is by denying worldly ways and worldly passions. The other aspect of pursuing happiness is the other side of the same coin, and that is by pursuing God's ways. Talking about the blessed man, the happy man, verse 2 says this, but his delight, his Pleasure is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. If someone was walking around the, 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 the atrium at church and they were saying, Man, I love God's law, I love God's law, I love God's law, we'd probably veer away from them because we'd either assume that they are a legalist or they're just a lunatic. I mean, who loves law? And yet David, in his own Psalm 19, says this, the law of the Lord is perfect. We get that, but then he says this, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise is simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You know, we love our children. We love sunny days. We love the Packers. Do you love the law of God? Do you love the word of God, does it revive your soul? In Deuteronomy 10, Moses says, Keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today. And then he says this, and it's so important. For your good. Do we obey God's commands because it is right? Yes. Do we obey God's commands to honor him? Yes. But we are also called to obey his commands because it is for our God does not give us the law to make our life miserable, but to make our life wonderful. God gives it for our good and for our happiness. Now, something that is also really important here, I know we're spending a lot of time in these first two verses, but there's just so much riches here. Something else important to see in these first two verses is whenever the psalm is, is talking about the unbeliever, the, the worldly folks, it, he's referring to them in the plural. He says the counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners, the seat of scoffers, all of that is plurality. It's, it's a group. But when he turns to talk about the righteous, the blessed man, it is singular. Blessed is the man who walks not in the council of the wicked. And then later his delight is in the law of the Lord. Why here does he have the worldly in plural form and the godly in singular? It's because we are often in the minority, except when we come to church on Sunday morning, because often we are plunged into the world all alone with no other Christians around us. You see, this psalm is not encouraging us to, to isolate and to abandon unbelievers and to the safe confines of our homes and churches. It is assuming that we will be surrounded by unbelievers in our workplaces, our neighborhoods, in our schools, and even in our families. Not to mention surrounded by worldly wisdom on TV and radio and social media. It's assuming that we will be surrounded by unbelievers. And yet, even if all go the way of the world, we are called to delight in the law of the Lord and to follow it. I think I shared some of this with you a few weeks ago. I don't think I shared this part of the story. But when I was in college, I was in a fraternity house, not a Christian fraternity house in any way, shape or form. But often at two o'clock in the morning, I'd be sitting with some guys and they would say, man, I just don't get it. I, I, what, what don't you get? He goes, I don't, I don't understand why you're so happy. You don't drink. You don't mess around with girls. You don't curse. You don't do all these things. Like, why? how can you be happy without doing all of these things? And the reason is because God's law is a law of happiness. God's ways are happier than the world's ways just yesterday i was talking to a friend and and i was recounting how miserable my life would be if god did not save me to himself and teach me his law when i became a christian i started reading the word i started i started trying to obey god's law even when i disagreed with it and it was amazing how it grew me both in healthiness and happiness and i got a long way to go don't get me wrong but god's word is for our good and so how can we be happy the world will not tell you this but God does the way to pursue happiness is by pursuing holiness there there's there's a there's a phrase uh, that Tim Keller I was listening to a sermon by him this week that I thought was really good I modified it a little bit you'll see it there on the bottom of your bulletin and if this is all you remember from today's sermon it's a good sermon uh, because this was really helpful for me and I have seen this play out hundreds of times in the lives of people friends and families and congregants. But here it is. If you have a pen, feel free to fill it in. It's this, and this is what the psalmist is getting at. If you pursue happiness above holiness, you will get neither. But if you pursue holiness above happiness, you will get both. Let me say that again. If you pursue happiness above holiness, you will get neither. But if you pursue holiness above happiness, you will get both you see here is the world the the problem that the world makes uh, the mistake the world makes a mistake that we make is that we think that in order to be happy we should pursue happiness but here's the thing if you pursue happiness you will be absolutely miserable I spent the first 18 years of my life pursuing happiness and it was miserable and even now when I pursue happiness over holiness I am a miserable person think about it in marriage if you pursue happiness in marriage over holiness in marriage, you won't get either. But if you pursue holiness in marriage over happiness in marriage, you will get both. And so the pursuit of true happiness is the pursuit of holiness by denying world's ways and pursuing God's ways. Secondly, the permanence of true happiness. This is why true happiness, God's happiness, is so much greater than the flighty happiness that the world has to offer us. Verse 3, talking about the blessed man. The man who rejects the ways of the world and who takes pleasure in God's law. He says this, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So you can probably picture a tree along a creek bed, right? A stream and the stream is flowing and you know that that tree is, is is growing and it's green and it's bearing fruit and it does not matter if the hardship of drought comes because its roots go deep and it sucks in the water and the nutrients from the wa- from the water and so that it can continually bear fruit and bear life regardless of A drought or any other thing, and so all the other trees around that tree can die. But as long as it has that stream of water, it can continue to flourish. The psalmist is saying, just as a tree rooted near streams has a constant source of nutrients, so is the one who is rooted in the word of God. The Bible is a constant spring of life-giving, joy-giving, happiness-giving, truth and wisdom and love. And if you put your roots down into this book and you draw nutrients from it day after day after day, you will prosper, you will bear fruit, you will grow in your happiness in the Lord. Even when a drought or hardship comes. The Bible is precious and full of riches for our soul. There's a story of a family who sent their son off to college. It's that time of the year now. And before sending their son off to college, they gave him a Bible. And they encouraged him to read the Bible, assuring him it would be of great help to him in his college year. Well, later that semester, the college student wrote a letter to his parents. This must have been before email. I don't know. But he he wrote to them asking them for money. He said he's out of money and he needed money. And they said, they, they responded back to him. They said, read your Bible. Are you reading your Bible? Go to this chapter, this verse, read your Bible. This will be an encouragement for you. And he would write back and said, yeah, I read my Bible, but but that doesn't help me. I still need money. Can you please send me some money? And they would respond back and say, okay, read your Bible. Uh, go to this chapter, this verse. It will be an encouragement for you. And, and finally, the semester ended and he came home and, the, and his parents said to him, we know you weren't reading your Bible. And he goes, how do, I know, how do you know if I was reading my Bible or not? They said, well, inside your Bible, in those chapters and verses, we had stuck $10 bills and $20 bills, and all you had to do was read the Bible, and you would have had these things supplied for you. You see, the Bible is full of riches, not monetarily, but in something way better. The Bible is full of the riches of the wisdom of God for our mind. It is full of the riches of the love of God for our hearts. And it is full of the riches of the hope of God for our souls. And so let me ask you, how are you doing at rooting yourself in the word of God, drawing its nutrients day after day after day? Often a barometer of that is your own happiness, regardless of situation. You might be here saying, I am too busy to read the Bible. And that may be true here and there occasionally, but the reality is we're not too busy to read the Bible. We just don't make time to read the Bible. The Bible is often not a priority for us. And so let this psalm be an encouragement to you to read the scriptures on busy days, on slow days, on happy days, on sad days, on work days and vacation days. The word of God is full of riches to nourish your happiness and to make you like a tree rooted near streams of nourishing water. The psalmist continues by contrasting the permanence and flourishingness of the happy man rooted in the scriptures to the wicked. Verse four, he says, the wicked are not so. They're not rooted in the nutrients of the scriptures, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. If you remember from the book of Ruth, uh, we've, we learned about how they brought the harvest to the threshing floor and they would they would take the harvest and they would throw it up in the air and, and and the good stuff would fall back down, but all the chaff would blow away. And what he's saying here is that is that the wicked and the happiness of the wicked is like chaff. It is blown away by the wind. It is here now, but it is gone tomorrow. There is no permanence to it. It's like that very, very, very depressing song by Kansas, if you are familiar with it, that says all we are is dust in the wind, dust in the wind. That is so very sad. You know, when I did youth ministry, I had a student that that left for college. Uh, he was raised in a godly home and a godly church. But when he went off to college, he decided, "I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to rebel against God. I'm going to rebel against my family." And as I was visiting him home, coming home from college one time, I was trying to speak some sense into him, and I said, "Hey, just." Would you tell me, who are the happiest people you know in this world? Who are the happiest people you know? And he listed out about five people. And none of them were of the same economic status. None of them uh, had, had the same, uh, were at the same age and stage in life. The, the common factor through all of these five people that he said were the happiest people he knew were people who loved the Word of God and who sought to obey the Word of God more and more. Maybe you know that song, Trust and Obey, but it tells us, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. So why is God's way of pursuing happiness through holiness better? Because true happiness is not like chaff that is blown away by the wind, but it is rooted, permanent, unshakable happiness that endures even in the hardships of life. And so finally, We've looked at the pursuit of true happiness through holiness, the the permanence of true happiness rooted in the word of God, but finally we get to the peak of true happiness. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. There's a day coming when Christ will return, and it will be judgment day, and all will become before the judge, and the wicked will not stand before the judge. They will be cast aside into a very, very unhappy place forever. He says, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. When the the saints go marching in, they will not be counted among that number. They will be cast away. Verse six, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I think this verse can be easily misunderstood. It's not saying that God. Uh, is aware of the ways of the righteous, but unaware of the ways of the wicked. That's not what it's saying here. And I think, uh, again, the singular plural is really important here. It's, It's not saying God, the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of righteousness. And yet here we have this great promise that when Christ returns, the way of the wicked, the way of sadness, the way of brokenness, the way of ugliness, it will perish. It will be no more. All that we will have when Christ returns is complete holiness and complete happiness to the degree that we cannot even imagine. I've shared this story before, but it's so helpful in helping me think about just the glory of heaven. When my children were younger, we had a kiddie pool, you know, one of those that's about six feet wide about 12 inches high, those blue ones. And uh, I remember we used to put it out on our back deck and we'd fill it up with water so that the sun could warm it up. And then we'd take our kids out there and they would go in the kiddie pool and they would play for hours. They, They loved the kiddie pool. They had their toys and buckets and they'd pour them and it was great. And I mean, they were just so entertained for hours. They loved to be in that kiddie pool. But then one day I decided we were gonna take our kids to Noah's Ark, the water park. And uh, there were wave pools and there were water coasters and there was surfing and there were tube slides and there was even so much more than that. And we continually said to each other, this is the best day ever, best day ever. It was so much fun. Now here's the thing, there wasn't anything wrong with the kiddie pool. It was fun, it was happy times. But in comparison to the water park, I mean, it wasn't even a comparison. Think about the happiest moment of your life here on earth, whether it be the the birth of a child or some major success or or, or the day you got married. Think of the happiest day, the happiest moment of your life in this world. Think of that moment. When we are in heaven, you will look back at it and say, that was great, but it's just a kiddie pool. Compared to the joy and happiness and holiness of heaven. Christian, we have a true happiness now by pursuing holiness. But the peak of happiness is yet to come when Christ returns. Let me end with this. Many years ago, there was a man named Joseph Flax. Uh, and he visited Palestine. And he had an opportunity to speak to Jews and Arabs. And he actually took Psalm 1. And he read Psalm 1. And then he asked this question. He said, who is the blessed man of whom the psalmist speaks?" This man who never walked in the counsel of the wicked or stood in the way of sinners or sat in the seat of mockers. Who was this absolutely sinless person? Nobody there spoke and he said, well, was it our great father Abraham? And they said, well, no, it couldn't have been him because Abraham basically lied and gave his wife over to other men on multiple occasions. He says, well, what about Moses? Like, well, could it be Moses because Moses murdered a person and then he was overcome with his temper at the waters of Meribah. He said, well, what about David? And and no one even had to say anything. All they had to think was the name Bathsheba. And they're like, no, it could not have been David. Finally, one elderly Jew arose and said, my brothers, I have a little book here. It's called the New Testament. And I've been reading it. And if I could believe this book, if I could be sure that it was true, I would say the man of the first psalm was Jesus of Nazareth. You see, Jesus is the man, the only perfect man who ever lived, who though he walked among the wicked, never walked in the counsel of the wicked, who although stood with sinners, never stood in the way of sinners, too, who sat next to scoffers, never sat in the seat of scoffers. Jesus was the perfect, sinless, and supremely happy Person to ever walk the face of the earth. And yet Jesus was also a man of sorrows because he knew the happiness God had intended for humanity and how far they had fallen. But also because at the cross, Jesus took on our wickedness and our sinfulness and our scoffing. He took on our disobedience to God's word and he died for our sin upon the cross to give us new life, a life of righteousness so that we might continually grow in holiness and happiness. And be fully happy on that day when Christ returns again. And so, friends, do you want to be truly happy? Trust in the blessed man, Jesus Christ, for your salvation. And then be rooted in the word of God and pursue holiness over happiness. And you will get both. Let's pray. Lord God, I I come confessing for myself and probably for many here, Lord, that we, we are so often tricked into thinking that happiness comes by the ways of the world lord and yet yet we know even from our own history as we have pursued happiness it has often led to misery so god pray that you would reinvigorate us to be rooted in your word and pursue holiness above happiness that we might gain both in you and we pray this in jesus name amen